0: So how's it going? Very good. Um, I had an interesting thing I noticed in my session this morning where there's a kind of a dullness cycle that lasts about two minutes where I'll be alert and focusing on the breath and then it'll kind of fade and I'll uh, go through a, a few breaths of dullness and then come back around, and that just seems to repeat over and over through the session. I wondered if anybody else has had experiences like that.
1: Um, that's that was my experience. Once I got sort of a handle on dullness, and once it started to go away, like it would come and go, rather oh, than being, okay. rather than being a really persistent. Uh, obstacle, it would sort of uh, come, and then you notice it, and then it goes. Um, so I, I think that's a good sign, especially if it, if it used to be more of like a persistent thing, and now it's sort okay. of coming and going. That's that's definitely a sign that what you're doing is working. Okay,
0: cool. That's nice to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been you,
0: wondering, is this working?
1: <laughs> yeah, are you applying the antidotes?
0: Yes. Yeah, checking in following the breath as closely as I can, you know, paying attention to the sensations of the breath, uh, using metta. Uh, I just, uh, was listening to a young YouTube video a few days ago about his approach to that nurturing positive, And that really seems to be helpful. That raises the energy overall, it seems like.
1: Yeah. I noticed when I was, uh, uh, working with dullness a lot um, there's a a couple things like really uh, worked for me was um, noticing it as early as possible and also uh, keeping a strong intention to perceive those two were the most powerful for me like I I could apply antidotes all day but if I didn't notice it soon enough and I didn't like uh, really have a strong intention then uh i I didn't get anywhere with dullness until i started like really trying to notice it as soon as possible and then apply the antidote as soon as possible Um, so
0: yeah thank you i'm taking notes (laughs) so you said apply the antidotes as early as possible notice it as early yeah like the
1: second you notice it even like the instant you notice it, because that's what trains. Uh, that's what trains the ability to uh, do it without thinking about it. Uh, you like, as, even if you think, "Oh, I might be getting dull," and you, you're just like, not sure about it. Uh, try applying one of the antidotes and see if you get more clear. Because um, oftentimes, what I found out when I was working with stage four is, I, w- I was letting myself be dull for. A while and then deciding oh maybe I should do something about the dullness but as soon as I started uh doing an antidote right as soon as I noticed it then uh it started to get a lot more clear okay
0: thank you and then there was one other thing you said that I didn't catch
1: and having a strong intention strong so, intention. that's it um <clears throat> I think somewhere in that stage four chapter it's buried in there, but he says basically the key to overcoming dullness is having a strong intention to perceive. Basically, that's like the fundamental thing. If okay. you really like read closely, and all these other antidotes and things, those are just ways of uh, remedying the dullness once it's there. But really, the fundamental skill is having the strong intention to perceive and noticing it as soon as it appears. Okay. And doing something about it as soon as it appears.
0: So I've been thinking in terms of I want to have more perceptive moments, you know, moments of consciousness that have perception rather than being non-perceiving. Is that right a valid that's the right, right idea?
1: You're intending. This has been my experience. So when you're in when you're having a moment of intention, that is a perceiving moment. And the more <laughs> Like, if you're in stage four, you don't want to be idling with no intention, basically, because the default for when you're in stage four is for your mind to uh, have no perceiving moments. If if you have no other intention, it'll just start to fall asleep or get distracted. So you have to fill what would be non-perceiving moments with moments of intention, basically. Uh, And, you know, it's kind of a fine line between uh, having a strong intention and overdoing it. But I think think people sometimes don't, uh, they take the don't, like, people say don't effort too much. But then I think that prevents people from holding a strong intention. Uh, There's kind of a fine line that you... Can walk between having a strong intention but let going of the outcome, versus being attached to the outcome of that intention. So it's it's possible to have a very strong, diligent intention, and not be attached to the outcome. That's what you're looking for. Okay,
0: and that's I'm remembering the article Ted wrote about uh, the intend release notice. Right. Yeah,
1: that's the same principle, I think. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Howdy. Hey, Ted. Hey. So. Uh, thank you for your you. article.
2: Oh, sure. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like uh, things are going well here. Um, thank you for uh, uh, well. You're you're like. Um, A very steady and very helpful contributor, Sam, and, and uh, uh, in, in a sense, arguably you should be leading this group and not me.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> That's good. I feel like I can uh, contribute something, so yeah, and I enjoy it a lot. That's awesome. So, how was your trip, Ted?
2: Uh, wow, I. My trip was good. I got the stuff that needed to get done done. Um, I have been really working on motivation recently. And uh, (laughs) so I didn't do anything that I didn't need to do, which was, um, (laughs) yeah,
1: it was a little interesting. What's that? Sounds like me.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, basically I, I've been getting to this point where like when, when I feel any sort of negative emotion associated with motivation, I immediately drop it. Like even the slightest negativity, because it's just like, no, I'm not doing that again. I've, I know where that leads. I'm not doing it again. And the problem with that, of course, is that it means that, um, I just checked on my, um, I was draining the battery on my phone, and so I looked at the battery app to see how many, how much, you know, what application was consuming the most battery. And it turns out it's the fanfiction.net application at 96 hours over the past week.
1: <laughs> For the Harry Potter, is it just Harry Potter or yeah, <laughs> have Harry Potter fanfic. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not a,
2: a, a, a sustainable. Um, state, but I just I really don't want to, to get out of it by using negativity. So uh, yeah. so I'm slowly working my way towards getting out of it using like actually the 96 hours thing was really helpful because I looked at that and I was like, okay, that's kind of a lot. maybe maybe, uh, maybe that isn't necessary. Because yeah. you know obviously there's some desire going on here too, right? It's like it's really fun to read these, no- these novels. and so there's there's this little bit of desire that's like, okay, I could just do that instead of this. And uh, so navigating that without being mean to myself is—it's actually really challenging. It's like, you know, there's a tendency to want to to beat myself up, or to feel fear, like, oh my God, if I don't stop doing this, the you know something really bad is going to happen. And so to to drop all of those motivations and just keep going until I find some positive motivation for doing something, is. Um, It's hard, but it took a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've been through this whole thing.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of working on the same thing myself. Like, uh, there's not really a there's there's not really a fear so much anymore of what's going to happen if I don't do something. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's not so much of that motivation, but uh, there's also not like. I don't feel very motivated by getting something out of doing something. Yeah. Um, so, what I am getting a lot of motivation from is just the act itself, mm-hmm. just being like right here where I am doing what I am,
3: mm-hmm.
1: some sort of intrinsic uh, reward to it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what the actual task is. Like, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes. Like I don't want to do something, but if I can just go into the moment, then that sort of goes away. Right, and uh, things are, you know, there's nothing wrong. It, you know, I've been. I like Eckhart Tolle because he has such a simple message, and I listen to him. And people, you know, some people don't like him because he he seems to be like anti thought, but I really like what he has to say, and it it helps to just keep it simple like that and just, okay, what is going on right now mm-hmm. in this moment? And can I be okay with that? And that, that's like half the battle, I think. Mm-hmm. Or like more than half the battle. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, as you were saying that, I was feeling like this this feeling of like, but if I really do that, then I might not be able to read the fanfic as much. And that would be bad. And, and no, it's it's really helpful. I, I, this comes up a number, fairly frequently, and it's actually really fruitful because, like, it really felt like there was a release from like just like listening to you say what you were saying and not not allowing myself to be drawn by the the uh, no no we can't do it that way that would be bad. It's funny how resistance works. So enough about my.
1: Was yeah, I was gonna um, maybe maybe we should talk after, but I, I, I've been getting into sort of unrelated to meditation, but I've been trying to learn some basic HTML and CSS. Oh, <laughs> and I know that you're like this master wizard programmer, so um, maybe we could stay after a bit, and I could get some tips from you on uh, there, how to self-study.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to help. I mean, bear in mind, I am I, I may be a uh, 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 I may have some programming foo, but actually, I hate HTML and CSS with a deep passion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, it's just like an incredibly bad design. Actually, you know, it's funny. Like, like I say that, but I, it's it, that's really more me reporting what my feelings about it were say two years ago. Now I'm just like, wow, oh, this is a really bad design. Well, what do I need to do to get it working? <laughs> but it's 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 like. It's, it's been this evolution of like, you know, one, one uh, unsatisfying thing after another in the, in the pursuit of excellence. Um, this actually used to be one of my big challenges. Since, since we're on this topic, I'll just, I'll just, you know, talk about it in terms of practice. Um, I, I may have mentioned this in the past, but I used to really, like, like when I was a kid, I loved programming. It was like my favorite thing to do. And I got a lot of fun out of it, a lot of joy out of it. And over time I got less and less joy out of it. And after I started, you know, doing the whole PNSE thing and you know, waking up and all of that stuff, I realized, wow, I just have all of this like negativity, like every single thing that I see about the stuff that I'm doing becomes like an exercise in dissatisfaction and rejection and pushing away and you know, sort of like the, so, so, you know, oh, this tool isn't good enough. There's this other tool that doesn't exist. That would be better. Why don't I make that tool before I continue with this thing? And so I would just get into this like layer after layer of, of like, you know, all of the things that I would have to do. And it became this, this, like the, the number of things that I would have to do to satisfy that, that, dislike that I had developed for all of the tools that I had was more than a human being could do in a lifetime. And, and yet it took me until I actually like, you know, had some path results to like, look at that and be like, Oh, I should just stop doing that. That's not working. I should just use the tool that I have, even though it sucks, because then I'll get the thing that I need done done. And so anyway, that's how I feel about HTML and CSS. <laughs> okay, good to <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I'm kind of enjoying just setting up my own website mm-hmm. just for a little side project. So it's kind of kind of interesting just building something. But I could imagine it might be uh, might get old after a while. So.
2: Yeah. Well, the the thing, the fun thing about CSS is figuring out how to predict what's going to happen when you make a certain change to the CSS. Um, it almost seems like it's not possible to do that. <laughs> People who, who really master it, who really develop an internal mental model for how CSS works can do it. But it's like it's the amount of, of uh, mental state you need to be able to do that is impressive. So Anyway, but this is not a CSS. Yeah, we should CSS back on top. Genre, so uh, yeah, we should probably talk about meditation or something. Uh, will CSS? Increase introspective awareness. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, like, um, you know, I used to think that I'd have a real leg up on introspective awareness because I was a programmer, and so in programming you're doing all of this stuff where you're looking at internal mental models of things, right? And so, therefore, introspective awareness should be easy. Turns out that didn't help at all. <laughs> so, no, sorry. <laughs> nice thought. Really? Uh, so any uh, anybody want to start a topic.
4: I've
5: got I actually got something.
4: Oh. oh, go ahead. Someone else.
5: Okay. Um, I'm, I guess, uh, sort of wondering how you all uh, plan out your sits, I guess, like, if you wanted, like, deciding sort of what you're going to work on during a particular sit, um, whether it's uh, like sort of the basic TMI stage stuff versus you decide to do meta or decide to do more of like a do nothing type thing um, and sort of, and then even during a sit, like when you decide to switch, I mean, I guess, to a certain point it's like you know if you find yourself in a certain stage you know switch to the practices of that stage but i guess sort of on a broader level and even potentially on sort of a more minute level deciding what you're going to do in any particular moment curious on folks's thoughts
2: so i can tell you a little bit about that Um, whether my advice is advice you should follow, I'm not sure of, but, um, but what I tend to do is so, so my basic preparation for meditation is hmm, time to meditate. Okay. sit, (laughs) which is probably not enough, actually, I should probably do it, be doing more. So, so, so don't do that. But, um, but in meditation, um, what I generally do is just look to see what problem is happening. And then um, whatever problem that is, um, I, I have enough of an understanding of the practices of each of the stages now that, that I know what practice to do for a particular problem. And so I just work on that problem. Um, and when I say I just work on that problem. What I mean is, for example, suppose I'm having a uh, distraction coming up like, you know, maybe I'm thinking about work or something like that and that keeps coming up. So then Uh, you know, what will happen is the first time it happens, I'll have a, I'll have a, a, an experience of uh, noticing, right. That it's happened. And, um, and then I'll, when the noticing happens, I will evaluate like what was it that happened? What, what's the thing that I noticed? And in in this case, it would be, Oh, I have gross distraction. I'm thinking about work. Okay. Well, in order for gross distraction to happen, there must've been a subtle distraction that turned into a gross distraction. And so, then I set an intention to try to notice the subtle distraction before it turns into a gross distraction. And then, um, and then I just go back to the breath and and stop worrying about it. And then, uh, you know, some period later, I will notice that the gross distraction has come back and, uh, but usually I notice it a little quicker second time, but still, you know, I notice it comes back. It doesn't, I haven't fixed it yet. Um, and then, so I go and I, I, basically do the same evaluation. And usually after about three or four times, um, I start to notice the subtle distractions before they turn into gross distractions. So now I have a new problem to work on, right? Whether the problem is dullness or whether it's subtle distractions is, you know, that's something that also needs to be evaluated, right? But, but basically that's, for me, that's what I do. I just like go into the meditation and see what happens. And, and um, when, I'm, when my practice is, is consistent, Um, usually I remember what was difficult in the previous practice or what was, what I was working on in the previous practice. And so that informs what I'm going to do in this practice. Like, Oh, right. I was having trouble with gross distraction yesterday. Well, I better, you know, I better watch out for subtle distraction, turning into gross distraction today. And so I immediately, when I start the practice, I immediately set that intention. And so, so that's one of the, that's sort of the, 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 uh, uh, low level, um, Thing that you need to do is just just like notice when you when you have the sort of the 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 noticing, just notice like evaluate what it is that you need to work on, but then the other thing is just like having that kind of overview of what's going on in my practice on a day-to-day basis, and um, you know like what was what was a problem yesterday, what went well yesterday, what worked yesterday. Can I not get the result that I got yesterday, but do the thing that worked yesterday? Um, so can I build on what I developed? And so so like doing that seems to produce progress for me. Um, but that said, I may not be the right the, the, the right person to answer that question. So I'm curious, like maybe uh, if Sam or Jan or if somebody has a different bit of advice to give.
5: Well thanks for that. <laughs> That's helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm really bad about uh, this preparation too, I sort of just sit down and like, okay, it's time to sit now. And I just sit down and um, follow the breath to start out with. And then depending on how that's going, I do, you know, if there's dullness or something, which isn't really uh, very common anymore, I remedy that. And usually by about 10 minutes in, things are pretty, uh, pretty good pretty clear, pretty uh, stable. Um, So I never really found much use for the preparation. But um, I'm sort of uh, setting resolutions during the day that are not directly related to sitting down, but just sort of like to orient my uh, energy in a certain way. And I'm finding that pretty helpful. So.
2: What do you mean by orient your energy in a certain way?
1: Um, So I found that if I start the day off with uh, a very strong, clear resolution to attain full awakening for the benefit of all beings, and I hold that in mind, then that usually starts off uh, sort of like a template for the day. And I find that I'm more aware and more mindful. And uh, if I keep renewing that resolution, um, it it's sort of a, I think it just helps to maintain uh, the intention to sort of be aware. And it, you know, it's like, it's like having a a fundamental motivation, right? Everybody needs a fundamental motivation. If you don't have some kind of fundamental motivation, then uh, I've found that there's not much driving force. But I've sort of been getting in touch with the fundamental motivation lately. Um, And uh, I'm finding that there's a lot more uh, zesto and spring in my step when I have that <laughs> fundamental uh, motivation all cl- set out nice and clear in, in consciousness you know what I mean uh-huh. um, and I think that, that that's probably what you would do before the sit but I, I've always found that I just sit down and just uh, start meditating and not think about it too much beforehand but...
0: can I say something yeah there was a uh... A note on Reddit uh, several weeks ago. I think it was somebody named Fortenbra who posted it. Who said, "I use note cards, and you should too." I can't find the post now, but he was talking about writing down the sixth step, uh, preparation. You know, motivation, goals, and so forth. And so that got me doing it. And I don't do it every time, but. I have found it useful to be a little more organized with by writing stuff down like that. It gives me something to look back at, and I can remember, oh, yeah, this happened a week ago. I never followed up on it. Let's, let's try that again, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, I don't think it would be worthwhile to be rigid about or turn it into another chore or anything like that.
2: Yeah. So, so you're talking about not just not just having like a, a, a sort of a, a ritual to read off the card, but just but also journaling about what what's been going on in your meditation.
0: Yeah. So I I use uh, an app on my computer, you know, a note-taking app, and I just have a page for each a practice log page for each day, mm-hmm. and so I'll have a session number, and then pre. And there's stuff I do before the sit to get ready for it. And that includes the six step preparation from the book. And then a post and I write down things I remember from the sit, things I tried that worked well or things I tried that didn't go well, you know, just so I have something to look back at and and remind myself. And I don't do that for every sit, but uh, I find that sometimes it's really helpful.
2: Yeah, one thing that's really nice about that practice, uh, and that's a great practice. Thanks for thanks for uh, reminding us of it. Um, but one of the things that's really great about that practice is just the act of sitting down and remembering what happened in the sit um, gives you more continuity. Even even if you didn't write it down, not the uh, writing it down is a great exercise because it's it gives you a thing that you need to get done, so you don't you don't not do it. But um, but going through that review process is really really a big deal. I mean, that can that can make a big difference in, in what happens day to day. So that's cool. Thank
5: you. So I know, Ted, you've brought up and I know others have been bringing up um, on the the subreddit occasion, more often pretty, lately, it seems like the like Shinsen's do nothing practice. Um, yeah. When, <laughs> when would you Like under what circumstances do you tend to recommend that practice? I'm just curious.
2: So, uh, the first time, the the first situation where I would recommend that practice is if you feel like your relationship to effort is dysfunctional, like if you're having, um, if it feels like you're working really hard in your meditations, um, you're not having fun, uh, you're maybe getting headaches or, um, you know, various things like that, then, um, doing the do nothing practice is really beneficial because it basically gives you a reset, like just do it for a week. Like don't do anything but that for a week and then come back to your regular practice and see what you think about it. <laughs> because chances are, you'll look at your regular practice after a week of doing the do nothing practice and you'll be like, why am I doing that? The other thing is you'll probably notice, uh, what your, what your baseline is. Like if you do the do nothing practice for a week, you 'll get a sense of um, you know what happens if I do nothing I mean do I just do I just go right into you know daydreaming Probably not actually you probably don 't go right into daydreaming so so what do you experience It can be really interesting for just getting a sense of where you are on the practice and also you know one of the things that I notice i mean I have this weird thing where I can be practicing stage four one day and then I can be practicing stage seven some other day and then i 'm practicing like stage three another day so there's a certain lack of consistency, and um, one of the things that can be really helpful about the do nothing practice is it shows you what happens if you're just not messing around with, you know, if, if you're not trying to do something, then you, this is what would happen. And for me, when I do the do nothing practice, I usually land at a much higher state stage than if I am trying to meditate, which is kind of ironic, I guess. <laughs> but, um, but uh it's 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 instructive i mean it's, it's useful for that and also um the do nothing practice can be really helpful if you're having if you're going through purifications um not necessarily like really intense purifications but just like you know you've got some stuff that you're working on um just sitting there and watching your mind for an hour um without any sort of intensity or or you know struggle can be really uh it can really help you to just like allow things to come up, be seen and released. Um, and so that's a really nice practice. Um, personally, I like to do practices for more than one day. So I wouldn't suggest that you do like do nothing practice today and then you do, you know, Anapanasati tomorrow and then you do like Metta the day after that. I would, and I'm not saying that I'm right about this. This is just my personal preference. Um, I would suggest doing it for like a week because then you get a little bit more continuity. You start to notice patterns that you wouldn't notice if you just did it for a day. Um, so that's, you know, that's an answer to your question about, you know, what to do on a particular sit. I think that that's, that's a way to approach it. Just, it's always an experiment. Like, like if you're, if you're feeling like, if you're feeling like your practice is not advancing, if, if you're not actually making progress and you're not already at a place where there's no progress left to be made, then, um, then it's worth, it's worth experimenting and seeing like, well, can I discover what it is that I'm missing? Um, But also, you know, one thing that really helps me and I'm sure that you've had this experience too, is just, you know, we all sit together on a Saturday morning and talk about our practice. A lot of times I'll come away from this and I'll be like, wow, I should try this this week, whatever this is. I mean, it's different every week, but uh, it's really helpful. I mean, like, you know, I, 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 I can't tell you how helpful it is to just like listen to people talk about their practice and be like, whoa, that's interesting. I wonder, you know, I wonder like let me explore that and see what I get out of that. And you know, I don't necessarily get the same thing out of it that they got, but it's often very fruitful.
5: So Yeah, definitely. Happy. Thanks. That's all really
6: helpful. Sure. I actually tried to do nothing um for like fifteen minutes, like about a week and a half ago for the first time. And uh one thing I noticed out of it was kind of really uh seeing my intentions before I acted on them yes which, which is a really big thing on what he was talking I watched a video and I put it in the link last week um where he gave instructions on that so and that kind of through my other s- since then I haven't done uh I think during my the four-step transition when it's like kind of a choiceless awareness type thing I do a little bit kind of like a do nothing a little a little bit and Understanding my intention a lot better than I than I did previously.
2: Yep, it's
6: a great practice.
7: I have a question about uh, something you mentioned, Ted. Uh, maybe yeah. anyone can help out with this. You mentioned that the, you have a lot of inconsistency day to day with how your practice goes. I've had this kind of up and down for my entire practice. Uh, I'm wondering if anyone has had this, where one day you might find yourself consistently working in whatever your cutting edge stage is and then the next day you're back down to stage two or three and then you're back up the next day um, and there doesn't seem to be any pattern to it. Um, if you fixed it, has anyone experienced that and then actually found a way to address it so practice becomes more consistent day to day?
8: Well, um, <laughs> it really depends on your concentration mainly and your concentration is influenced by a lot of factors like sleep, um, exercise, uh, diet, that kind of stuff. So you could look at those factors to improve it. And let's
7: assume all those factors that are more or less constant.
8: Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, then it's interesting. Um, it could be something else. Um, uh, sometimes it's just like um, that. There is something unconscious blocking it. That could also be the case. Um, and uh, yeah, something like that, like a purification or even something else. Um, and in that case, you could also do the do nothing practice actually. And that really helps usually. Um, so yeah, you could look at that if, if you keep it consistent.
7: Yeah, I was mostly just curious because this, uh, this has never been a super pressing issue in my practice. I just always wondered why it was so consistently up and down, up and down. And I don't like I don't hear every everybody like on the Reddit, for example, uh, describing their practice this way. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering other people have dealt with this.
9: So, uh,
2: what is what is your practice? I mean, are you, how many hours a day are you doing,
7: and how consistent are you about when you do it? I sit uh, twice a day for an hour, and I. Okay.
2: So uh, sitting twice a day for an hour, um, it seems like, you know, I think I think Jan's theory that that there's some purification happening, is a pretty plausible one. Um, if there's something that your mind doesn't want to look at, one of the ways that it responds to that is with dullness. And so you can find yourself, and and dullness can really knock you down in stages. And so you can find yourself like, like, you know, having like this really great meditation one day and you get really close to something. And then like, there's this part of you that really doesn't want to get that close to whatever it was you got close to. And that part is like, okay, I'm taking over now because things are going badly. And now we're going to be dull for a while. And we're going to be in stage two or three. And so so when, when and I'm not saying this is necessarily what's happening for you, but it's a thing to investigate. If, if this is what's happening for you, then as Jan was saying, uh, the do-nothing practice might actually be really fruitful. You might consider doing the do-nothing practice uh, for one of those hours, like one of those hours maybe do anapanasati, and the other hour do do nothing. And uh, use, try to create a feedback loop. And when you, when you say you do two hours, is it like one in the morning, one in the evening kind of thing, or? Yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, so, so yeah, do one of those maybe as a, as a different practice, like the do nothing practice and see if, see if you notice something that you aren't noticing when you do the Anapanasati practice. Uh, It's, it's hard to say exactly what is happening, but that would be a thing to investigate. Um, you know, that we all have buried stuff, like, and it's, it's kind of awesome how much buried stuff we have. Like you wouldn't, until you, until you start digging it up, um, and you know, you get, you get down through a giant pile of crap and you think, wow, I must be through it. And then you find, oh, wow, there's another pile of crap under this one. So, so there's always stuff that's, that's down there that can have this effect. And part of the, part of the task of, of, uh, i think of of advancing in meditation is is you know getting more consistency is actually just like uh being able to freely discover these things and work through them without as much resistance and um i realize that's not a very satisfying answer because but but the fact that you're getting to like some fairly decent result and then and then bouncing down does suggest that that's what's going on
7: yeah i think i uh I think I thought of like the, the uh, concrete answer to my own question while, while you guys were talking. Which Excellent. <laughs> Two weeks ago I, I did a week of just noting practice just for the sake of taking a break from TMI. I uh, I had this really poisonous relationship with over-efforting, uh, mostly about being super attached to the outcomes of, of what I was doing, so I would set intentions just fine, be diligent about it just fine, uh, but I'd be really, I'd be really hyper vigilant for the outcome and sort of become um, more and more agitated as the outcome didn't go the way I wanted it to, if, if that was the case. Um, so the Noting Week really showed me that noting, uh, like I chose noting because it's fun and uh, it's very unstructured. So there's, there's nowhere I have to direct my attention in particular. Uh, there's no like detailed instructions I need to follow and succeed with. Um, suddenly my meditation became kind of consistent. Uh, this is the part I just realized now connects with what I asked. Um, it became very consistent and uh, very kind of easy and relaxed. I switched back to TMI, and it was—it uh, almost immediately went back to the old dynamic, which, which really showed me, I guess, that uh, the efforting was was the, the the heart of things. And I guess that would that probably explains the inconsistency itself.
2: Yep. Yeah, I mean, efforting uh, rather than the meditation being um, a, a positive progression, it can turn into a negative progression. Yeah, know, that's definitely it's what it's hard that that you exhaust yourself or you know you develop aversions. So,
7: yeah. Um, I, I just want to ask, uh, Jan, can you give us an update on your practice? I've been really curious what's happened in the last two weeks since you gave us your really exciting update. But uh, Mike had his hand up for a while now. Yeah, well.
8: Yeah, um, well, it's actually going downhill, like my quality <laughs> of my sits, so. <laughs> Um, I don't have like anything special to um, say what was like happening after that retreat. It was like for the, um, the, the t- next two weeks after that, it was uh, similar to like uh, a bit on the retreat. So um, the sits were very clear. Um, I, I did Mahasi noting in um, in the two weeks after and I had like zero distractions. Um it was very calm, very spacious um, um very similar to the retreat, so stage nine tenish and then two weeks after um it all crashed a bit and it started again with having very vivid dreams um, and I talked about Tucker with this, and uh, I also had this after the uh, insight in no self and usually when I had a big insight like after the retreat uh, it seems that I experience a lot of vivid dreams and uh, those dreams kind of knock me out. So, um, I just feel, yeah, weird like after, after a night's sleep and that's still a bit going on. Um, and like some days, um, what usually happens is like the, the morning sit, um, is like, not great. The quality is not great. So I still do my noting, but there are a lot of distractions, um, and that kind of stuff. But my attitude has definitely changed. So I'm, yeah, it's just like, yeah, sure. Like, um, it's all fine. Um, and then sometimes in the afternoon, it, it is better. Uh, the quality of sits, um, but that's not always the case. So sometimes it feels, um, at the moment it's either like uh, a lot of distractions or a lot of energy in my sits at the moment. Um, so it feels like more pithy again. And, um, yeah, more more, um, the, the stuff that's arising is arising quicker than, uh, used to be. Um, so it's a bit of a got uh, a color, yeah a lot of um, different quality sets uh, like you were mentioning as well. Um, so at the moment it's a bit it's different than it was before. So it seems that like that's um, going back to either like low stages or more like energetic stages. Um, so that's what what's going on.
7: Thanks, yeah. I was just curious.
8: That's
2: uh, a really common result. I notice, Jan, I don't know if you've noticed this when you look in the mirror, but you look more relaxed and happy.
8: Hmm. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> I haven't, well, <laughs> uh, I do feel very relaxed. Um, sometimes a bit too relaxed in a sense that I don't, yeah, I think what Sam also is talking about, like, I don't care about a lot of things anymore, and actually, after the retreat, um, it had an, a bit of an impact on my study that I just didn't feel like doing it anymore. Um, but in a way that I'm, that my well-being has improved.
2: Mm-hmm.
8: So, yeah. It, yeah.
2: You. So you. You came on a little bit late. We were actually talking about this quite a bit. I think you caught the tail end of it. Um, you might want to go back and, you know, if you feel like it, go back and listen to that. Um, whether it'll help you or not, I don't know. But at least you'll 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 know that, that you have uh, uh, brothers who uh, who are suffering the same the same uh, woeful problem, which doesn't really cause us a lot of suffering. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really it, it's a really hard problem. I mean, it's interesting. You you, you you just like you don't want to be motivated by pain anymore right and so if you're not motivated by pain anymore then how do you motivate yourself or how does motivation arise because you know motivate yourself maybe isn't the right way of looking at it but
4: Can I say something or ask a question about that i mean i guess i would ask like you know What were you studying and why were you studying it? Like, what I found for me is that a lot of my motivations disappeared, but I found that like motivations that I honestly believed or could easily recast as being helpful for the world um, stayed very strong or even got stronger. So, you know, on the whole, like, I think my career is a good thing for the world. And so I've been very motivated to keep working, even though the, the ego motivation is mostly gone. So I was wondering if you wanted to think about that at all.
8: I've had that as well um, at a moment, but now it's yeah it's, it is different because um yeah it's hard to explain so but i I don't think that's the case or um but i i will keep it in mind like maybe something like that. thanks yeah, I mean- You might
2: find it useful to dig for uh, like so when when you're doing I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before when you're doing stuff that you've been habitually doing for a long time and that you were in a less happy state when you were doing it before. um, Conditioning can come up along with that that is associated with the previous less happy state. Um, And so even though your your default state is now the happier state, the old conditioning comes up and when that old conditioning comes up and you don't have anything to counteract it. Um, like before you were counteracting it with fear of failure or desire for recognition or whatever it was. I mean, I, I don't know what your motivations were, but but I'm sure that it was something like that. Some kind of fear or desire based motivation or, or most likely a combination of all of those things. Um, so when those drop, but you still have that resistance that's, that's not—it's not like your native state of mind anymore like you're not normally in a resistive state of mind, but when you go back to that task, the resistance comes up because it's associated with the task. Then um, then that can create, It's it doesn't feel like a strong thing. I mean, it doesn't feel like there's any really like, you know, it wouldn't be painful to do the task. It wouldn't suck to do the task, but there's just like this subtle, like, no, I don't want to. And, um, so if you can get in touch with that, it can be really helpful. Because uh, often it's, I mean, for me at least, it's that's that's often what it is. It's like a very subtle thing that's driving me away from not doing the thing that I sort of know need I need to do. And then if I can notice that, actually, just the act of noticing it can be enough to to get me back on
8: target. All right. Yeah. i us try to look at that. Can I chime in? Yes. Uh,
9: one thing that this discussion reminds me is that relationship we were talking about uh, between effort and intention a few sessions ago. And it seems as if, at first, we are used to, to using efforts to direct attention and to direct our minds. So we do that for a while, but at some time, at some point, it, it stops working and you have to relearn to redirect your mind with intention. And I think it's something similar uh, in this case, in which you have, you have you had some motivations driving you, and now those motivations don't work anymore, and you have to relearn to use a, another type of a motivation to move you. And as Ted was saying, sometimes old habits uh, kick in, and you, you get back into, I don't, I don't know, some kind of aversion, maybe. And, but mainly I think that that's the relationship between you are used, you were used to using some type of motivation, and that doesn't work anymore, now you have to relearn to use another type of motivation, and it's more subtle and you, it takes time to, to learn to use that type of motivation. So uh, now that Mike
2: is chewing on something, it's time for him to speak.
6: (laughs) I couldn't resist. Sorry. (laughs) Great time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I wanted to mention that uh, about a week and a half ago, I started doing loving kindness meditation regularly um, because the more reading I did, the more that that pointed to everything, kind of pointed to that to doing loving kindness is. Bit. basically integral or almost that way um, so I have two questions about that the first was how I structure it which is basically a my TMI sits have been one hour um, so now I do maybe 15 to up to 30 minutes so those usually less of loving-kindness in a guided uh, meditation uh, for the beginning of that and then the rest I do um, TMI style and uh, the second question is for people who have started doing it did you notice because this is what I noticed um, after starting um, after my sits I was very irritated uh, kind of irritated angry short on patients and kind of like almost snapping at people which has not been um, my state of mind for a long time, since I actually started meditating a year ago, it's actually like that. that That's very surprising to me that that came back and I wasn't understanding why. I have a theory on that, but I'd like to know if anybody else is is familiar with that at all. That sounds
1: like a purification. Uh, Some sort of a, I mean, it's definitely working, uh, although it might not be uh, presenting very favorably at the moment, but uh, yeah um, is it
6: causing problems uh no I, I, I would say it's actually calmed down a bit since I think it was the first three or four days um, it was worse it was the worst and then it. I haven't really I've been looking for it and I haven't really been noticing it after six now um, and I was worried because I had some like maybe like a call with, uh, with my client or something later after my meditation. I was worried I would be really irritated or something like that. Um, but it seems like that's calmed down.
2: One thing that can happen, I don't know if this has anything to do with what you experience, but one thing that can happen when you do any kind of practice that, that, uh, that kind of is a heart-opening practice. Basically, heart-opening practices are all about seeing more clearly. If you think about it, they're like about seeing more clearly, like the, the, the relationship that you have to the others in the world, if there are others in the world, as opposed to just we're all one in a sense. Um, and also the um, uh, Opportunities that exist to uh, Make the world a better place. Right. Um, and it's not uncommon for there to be a part of your mind. That's just like, I don't want to do that. That's a lot of work. <laughs> and, um, and that can actually create a, a certain feeling of negativity and defensiveness um, that that will that arise after the practice. Um, but that's not a bad thing, right? Because actually, like, you need to get in touch with that. sub-mind. I mean, that sub there for a reason. It's not, it's not just a bad sub mind, right? Um, if you, if you develop uh, sort of an altruistic intention in an ignorant way, um, that can actually create a lot of suffering for you and not be very effective. And so you need to have a good relationship, a a relationship to to, uh, compassion and loving kindness that is realistic and not um, idealistic. And so, So, having that subline come up and and if if this is what's happening, i don't know if this is what's happening for you, but if that is what's happening for you, having that subline come up and trying to develop a more healthy relationship with it can be really beneficial because you don't want to get into a place where you're and I've seen this with Dharma practitioners that they get into a place where they just become uh, i think there's a philosophical term they become a happiness pump um, where they basically just like work themselves to uh to the breaking point trying to solve every problem that they see. Um and you, you can't do that. You have to you have to
4: I think happiness pump is a really bad term for that. Is it, it just seems well, super nondescriptive. I would think of a happiness pump as someone who was maybe very wise and was like always able to provide like wisdom and happiness to those around them, but but being wise is not the same as solving everyone's problems, which is impossible.
2: Right. Uh yeah. So, so this is. I mean, I I, I don't disagree with you, but the, it's actually. Yeah. Don't let me derail. Yeah. It's 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 it's. I think apparently it's part of it's part of the philosophy of utilitarianism, um, or one of the one of the problems with utilitarianism, of which there are many. Not that I'm bitter. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so yeah. The, I don't know if you guys watch TV at all. There's this show that's been going on for a couple of years called The Good Place. And it's actually a really wonderful show for like revealing philosophical concepts in a way that is approachable to the average person. I love it. I'm so happy that somebody came up with a TV show that does that. Like, every time, like they did a wonderful show on the trolley problem. And it was just. <laughs> <laughs> it's over the top hilarious did a wonderful job of, of illustrating the problem with the trolley problem and the problem with utilitarianism in general so anyway we're, this isn't a philosophy meetup so I guess I shouldn't go into too much detail about that but yeah that so the term happiness pump is just that's it's a term of art It's not I, I, I kind of kind of agree that it's not the best the best term to use but it is uh, apparently a term that is used so anyway um,
6: uh, I was going to say. I- I am familiar with the good place, and that trolley episode it was very memorable. Yes. Uh that's great. Um, but also, when you were when you mentioned the happiness pump, uh, whether the term for it or not, it sounds a lot like uh, the issue of the caretaker issue, which is you're caring for everybody else, but you're not caring for yourself. So that's one of the things that I'm trying, yeah. To, I'm trying to. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's actually. It's actually, um, I mean, that's, that's one way to look at it, but what's really going on if you're a happiness pump is that you're not, uh, you're not really accepting that things are the way they are. Um, So you're imagining that you're somebody that you're not essentially right. You're, you're imagining that you're a person who has the capacity to do all of the things you attempt to do. And you don't have the capacity to do those things. And so from that state of non acceptance, you then create problems for yourself and others. And uh, so uh, 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 one way to address that is to just, to just, as you said, take care of yourself as well as others. But um, that's actually a little bit of a band-aid solution because you're still not necessarily in tune with, uh, with what is. You're, you still may have a, a, a mental model of yourself that isn't who you actually are. Um, and and that's, the, that's the root of the problem.
6: Well, when you speak of capacity, it remind, reminded me of one theory i had for this kind of rebound effect i don't know if i'll call it a rebound effect but because i i recently read the loving is it the revolutionary art of loving kindness the sharon salzberg book um and she mentions that when you're building your loving kindness you are kind of like start with a pond that could only handle so much bad stuff going in it and then you become kind of like a an ocean that can handle a whole truckload of bad stuff being dumped in it and it just can yep. doesn't dilute as well. So I was theorizing that maybe my I'm growing my I like exhausted my ponds yep. <laughs> or something by doing the meditation and I am building that up. So um, I mean that's just a theory. So and you said yeah. capacity is reminded me of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah that's right. I mean it's 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 a great way of looking at it. It's um, that's another way of thinking about um the problem of aspiration versus capability, right? Like my aspiration might be to, uh, to bring uh, all living beings to freedom, but do I have the capacity to bring all living beings to freedom? If not, the problem I need to work on is the capacity problem, not the all living beings problem, because I actually don't have the capacity to work on the all living beings problem yet, so yeah. Anyway, uh, Ken, you have had your hand up for a while and then I noticed Rodrigo unmuted a moment ago. So uh, let's let Ken go first because he had his uh, hand up for a while, but.
10: Hey, thanks. Um, Yeah, just as a quick interlude to what Mike was saying, I have had um, times in the past where kind of strong different emotional states, anger, whatever just comes up and it just off the cushion. And it just seems to be one of those things that sometimes comes up and then it passes. So for what that's worth, um, there it is. But I guess um, what I wanted to ask is more triggered by what Zolt was talking about earlier about practice jumping and having amazing sets one day and then, you know, terrible stage two sets stage three sets the next day and going back and forth. And yeah, I've, I've totally had that. And I was kind of interested in what you guys were saying about purifications and talking about working through stuff. Um, it seems conceivable that that's happening. But the thing is that I find that like you're, you're talking about going through all this stuff and then you finally see it and that's all good. It's like, I have zero of that, like in in the in the three years I've been sitting, I think there have only been two instances where I've had some powerful memory come up and felt a release and kind of been conscious of the memory. You know, like one time when my dog died when I was in grade four, kind of thing. Um, but all the other times, it's it seems to be like I'm just racked by these physical emotions, like these kriyas, like. Kind of the silent scream, the twitching, the facial tension. I actually almost dislocated my jaw the other day and I'm still you know, trying to push it back into place. Wow. Um, but it's like there's zero memories, there's zero anything associated with this. And so I have no idea if purification is, is working or happening or if that's the cause of these things or if there's something completely unrelated um the only thing I can say is that they've been, you know, coming and going throughout the last couple of years. And right now they seem to be in a little bit of a of a downslope in there. But you know, kind of having what seems to be purification, but without any sort of mental activity going on there. Like it's it's just like purely physical thing. It's it's that's kind of weird. And um And so I guess the other problem that I, that I'm having is that a lot of times I still get great clarity, like physical sensations and the breath sensation and, uh, and, um, it's like when I, when I sit, I feel all this like body energy. It feels like there's a giant electric octopus sucking on my face half the time. And, uh, you know, even while I was sitting here listening to Jan talk about his practice, I was feeling like this tingling and shivers and stuff going down my leg and down the back of my head and, and everything else. So, like, the clarity is amazing, but there's still some process that is, like, going like crazy to distract me. It's like, you know, it, it's it's just like like I get this amazing clarity. I'm locked in. I'm perfectly relaxed. Everything is good. And then it's like, boom, gone. And I don't know any anybody with a insight or similar experience and solutions I all ears
2: so I'm going to jump in here and say something that's actually a little bit off topic um, but first I'll mention that Sam actually talked about some experiences like this um, a couple of weeks or maybe a month ago on one of our one of our uh, meetups I don't know if you were on it but it might be worth um, going back and reviewing some of that stuff because he actually had some helpful stuff to say about the exact thing you're talking about where you're because what you're describing sounds a lot like uh like uh some medium grade pity as opposed to a purification it's sort of a purification but it's also something else and and there was a struggle that sam was talking about that that would be worth investigating but the other thing i wanted to say is that um and this is not just something I'm saying for you can maybe that there are other people who would be interested in this. Um, one of the things, so you guys know that I did a, a thing with Jeffrey Martin and I actually, so I, I study TMI, but I also, I also, my practice and my teaching is very much informed by stuff that I've learned from Jeffrey Martin who started the finders course and does a lot of research into this stuff. Um, and one of the things Jeffrey,
8: uh,
2: learned in the process of studying awakening is that, um, not every practice works equally well for every practitioner, um, and indeed, some practices don't work at all for some practitioners. Or they might work in the sense that they're useful practices, but they don't produce awakening for that person. Um, and uh, having had you coming to the calls for quite a while now, um, and not, you know, I, I think you've had some really interesting breakthroughs in progress. But but I get also get the sense that you don't feel like there's an endpoint to this, and 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 I feel your frustration about that. And so I'm just thinking, you know, maybe you actually should do the finders course. I mean, don't, don't let me push you into this. But I'm just saying, we're doing one in, in starting in April. If you have time, uh, it might be worth doing just because it'll give you some exposure to some practices that you maybe haven't done yet. And also to some practitioners who might be able to share stuff with you that's useful.
10: No. Consider it.
2: I mean, I don't know how you're I, I know you you have a job and stuff and so uh, Yeah,
10: yeah. It's but, and it's I mean it's it's not so much like I don't feel frustration like emotionally angry with yeah. let go of so it. like it's all good. It's just sort of, you know, at an academic level it seems that yeah. the stuff doesn't line up with other people's experience and
2: yeah so. it would be nice to get you over the over the kriya hump
6: <laughs> yeah when you nearly dislocated your jaw were you uh, aware of what was happening did it just you didn't even realize you were crunching your teeth or moving your jaw around or what happened yeah yeah no i was i
10: was i was completely aware of it like i was like sitting there my face was all you know, tensed up in this, you know, silent scream. And I was just watching it and I'm like, yeah, okay. There's that shit again, you know, you know, damn, that jaw is a little bit painful, but it's like, there was no like anger or rage or sadness or, you know, sometimes there've been those feelings, but there's not even that anymore. It's just like, almost like a pure physical thing. And I'm just sitting there watching it. And I guess I just didn't (laughs) didn't realize how intense it was.
9: Hmm.
10: Until after, but I mean, something like that will. Be, lately, it's comes up maybe I don't know two or three times in a in an hour set.
2: That's a lot. Anyway, uh, so if you, I, I sent out a mailing this morning actually about the the finer scores thing. If you're not on the list, uh, let me know and I can send you one. It's it's. Finders course is normally kind of expensive, but I, I facilitated and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive.
10: Okay. Thanks.
7: Sure. Hey, can you tell us briefly what the finders course is like how it runs? And
2: what the yeah, idea? sure. So basically what it is, is um, It's, it's essentially a protocol that Jeffrey developed because he wanted to do some before and after brain scans on people before they awaken and after they awaken and uh so he just came up with a protocol based on like you know interviews he'd done with a lot of people who had awakenings um and basically just did a statistical analysis on like what techniques worked best and he found like the top say 15 techniques and he came up with a he kind of ordered them in terms of like which ones have the most likelihood of producing negative experiences so he put the ones that produce positive experiences first on the theory that by the time you got to the ones that might produce a negative experience your state of mind should be sufficiently good that you won't have the negative experience and and that does seem to mostly be the case Um, but yeah there he basically just runs you through like you spend a couple weeks just doing prep work and then uh, you start doing group practices and solitary practices uh, based on the different Uh, awakening techniques that he found had the highest success rates Um, and you basically just cycle through these these techniques you spend a week on each one some of them some of them go continuously through the course so like there's an anapadasati practice that goes continually through the course and there's um, uh, there's a a group awareness noting practice that starts at the beginning and kind of continues and and. Uh, but then other practices, you just do them for a week and you basically the idea is to see if, like does this actually seem like it's working for you at all. And if the answer is yes, then like make a note of that and, and we'll come back to that. If the answer is no, well, okay, let's not waste time on that one. Let's move on to the next one. And so you just keep doing that for each of these practices. And Ideally, you should discover some number of practices, usually at least one, sometimes more than one that seem like they have um, They're giving you some real traction. Like they're actually producing non-symbolic experiences. Jeffrey describes it, um, maybe temporary, but, but at least they're, they're getting you into some state that you're not accustomed to being in. Um, and uh, a lot of people actually, when they find one of these practices, just doing it for a week is enough to get them into, a, into an awakening. Um, doesn't always work that way. Some people don't have that experience, but, um, but it's not uncommon. Um, and then for other people, you know, they just, like having done the course, then they have this, first of all, they have an overview of a bunch of different awakening practices um, and a sense of what works. Uh, Rodrigo asked, does that mean stream entry? And, and yeah, that basically means stream entry. Although uh, if you talk to 15 different Buddhist teachers about what stream entry is, you'll get 15 different answers. So, uh, <laughs> but it does seem to be consistent with the, with the 10 fetters model in terms of, of stream entry. So that's, that's, I'm just saying that just from my personal experience, not with any you know, Buddhist authority or anything. Um, so, uh, where was I? Yeah, so basically you, either you come out of the course having actually gotten some kind of result or you come out of the course knowing some practices you can do and either of those are pretty good outcomes. Um, the other thing that's neat about it is that there's a group of people who've been through the course and it's sort of like a rite of passage, like if you make it through the course it's assumed that you're not a troll. And so then you're allowed to come and join the, the meetups with the people who are um, Who've already gone through the course. And so you get to talk to people like a lot of the stuff that I uh, Tell you guys in these conversations is coming from conversations that I've had with all of the people that I know who have gone through the finders course, which is like, you know, Hundreds of people I mean, I don't know all of them well, but I know a lot of them well. And so I'm able to share what they've shared with me that isn't my own personal experience because I've sat and had long conversations with them about their experiences. So that in itself is incredibly valuable. And even if you don't actually have an awakening during the course, the opportunity to talk to that many people who've had some kind of awakening is really, really helpful.
9: That's
7: a neat thing. And you, uh, you help run these Ted? So, uh,
2: historically Jeffrey's done them on a kind of a commercial basis, but um, recently he's been doing an experiment where he wants to see if he can do facilitated finders courses where he does less of the work. Like basically I provide sort of the moral support and answer people's questions and stuff like that. And he just provides the course material and uh, some tooling. Um, And so I've been hosting, I started hosting one in February um, and that's been going, I guess we're in Was it April. So yeah, so it's been going for like two months now and it's got uh, a little less than two months to go Um, and uh, that's been going pretty well. I've got eight people in that and then uh, There's one starting, I think, on the 20th, although there's some some prep work that needs to start on the 15th. Um, And yeah, I'm hosting that and the way I do it Jeffrey typically charges like 2500 bucks for the course. So, I don't charge anything for facilitating. Uh, kind of my uh, reason for participating is to provide it at a well, a because I have you know useful things to tell you, but b because I can provide it at a. I don't I don't charge for my time because I don't need to. So then it becomes like you know he he has a five hundred dollar fee for the course materials, which I can get him to waive if somebody can't afford it. So uh, so it becomes either free or relatively cheap, um, and. You know, yeah. So I, I host it, and I wind up being the person who you talk to if you have questions about what's going on, or you know, logistical or or practice questions, stuff like that. And it's it's a lot of fun. It can be a little stressful too, because it's it's pretty intense. It's basically like doing a, a a four month retreat while you're living your life. <laughs> um, you know, because it it really is like you know you will spend some days three hours or even even more. Other days, like you can scrape by with one hour, but but that's like the absolute minimum. So,
5: um, so what w- the April twentieth one? What when would that uh, finish? Well, let's see. It
2: starts April twentieth. So, uh, let me look at a calendar. Here. Okay, so April twentieth. Assuming that's correct, then 17 weeks from April 20th would be, oh, that's Passover. Um, 1, 2,
10: 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17.
2: So that would be, it would be ending uh, about halfway through August.
5: And so, if I've got a a retreat in the middle of that, Mm -hmm. uh, do you imagine that would be an issue?
2: You can't, if if you're doing the course, you definitely don't want to not show up for part of it. Um, So you would have to arrange for, um, uh, like if you're doing a Goenka retreat, I don't think it would work because they don't really make allowances for other practices. If you're doing some other retreat, like if you're going to Chuladasa, I actually did a retreat with Chula Dasa during the Finders course, and it was really great. It was like one of the most blissful experiences that I've ever had in my. I mean, actually, it was it was the most blissful experience that I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. Like like all kinds of like path experiences that that I had fantasized about having someday and never had suddenly were like, you know, I mean, available. Uh, yeah, so Martin asked if I'm planning on hosting another one after this one. In in theory, yes. In practice, I don't know. It depends on Jeffrey. It's up really entirely up to Jeffrey because it's his material. Hmm. Wouldn't surprise me. Tom asks if there's a relationship between ASMR and pity and, and yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't really, I haven't looked into that at all. Does anybody else know What's ASMR? ASMR is like, have you heard about these uh, things that people do where they'll like play certain kinds of sounds or look at certain kinds of images and they produce this really like nice feeling like I, it's not a thing that I sorry?
3: There's actually an article that came out yesterday in the New York Times exactly oh. on talking about this and I was curious about I I hadn't heard of it and so you know, I was looking at that, and I was thinking, well, my goodness, there's probably, you know, it's interesting how technology is pulling all of this stuff together, and how YouTube is now almost like a science lab where people are discovering stuff that you would never discover because it's just the rand, it's out, it's out there, and you know, yeah, I was curious about that too, and how that connects with, for example, I saw on the Reddit what andrew has been doing. You know, she was. Um, so uh, there's gotta be some connection between all of this on some level.
7: Oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, uh, from what people describe about ASMR it sounds pretty similar to what I experienced, but I'm not, I don't have the triggers, like that soft voice stuff creeps me out. <laughs> okay.
2: Did you guys hear that?
5: No? Not quite.
2: Um, not really. She was, she was saying that, that her experiences do seem like they're a lot like ASMR, but the soft voice stuff just creeps her out. So different people have different triggers for ASMR. <laughs>
0: I got it the first time from being part of a choir as a child.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get actually uh, really powerful uh, pity experiences from, from listening to live music or participating in live music. It's actually challenging for me to sing in a choir because um, I have to be careful that I don't just, like, start crying. I, I can, if, if I'm not careful, I literally, I will, I will be singing and I won't be able to keep my voice stable because I'll start sobbing. So, which is, <laughs> like... know, it's a little weird, but it's also very, very pleasant, so I can't complain. It wouldn't surprise me if there's actually, that's one of the reasons why music is so integral to various uh, religious traditions, because I think it does produce profound, um, I mean, I've, so I play piano, and, um, I have on more than one occasion had a pretty powerful uh, experience while working on a piece of music. Uh, there, are, There's a, a the, the C major fugue I've just been working on and there's a section from the from the well-tempered clavier and uh, there's a section in there that, that like I have to be careful when I'm playing through it because there's
3: a tendency to want to break down and cry, it's so beautiful. <laughs> So. Hey Ted, could you riff on that a bit more? I, I, that's one of the questions that's been forming in the back of my mind because I, you know, play, I've played music on some various forms all my life. In high school, I played French, French horn, which is, um, wait, no. Um, yeah, and- no, no, I wasn't saying me too, it's okay. leaving sleeping. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was wondering like for me, I don't know how to describe it, but there is that there is that there is a, a very intense I don't know how to describe it feeling that for mm. me anyway arises in connection with either playing or experiencing certain forms of music. And I yeah. was wondering how many other musicians there are out there who are familiar with this particular and whether that whether and to what extent it equates to some form of P2P.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my piano teacher definitely, um, wouldn't surprise me if she was, if she was in some location. Uh, and, uh, by the way, when I say when someone's in a location, I'm talking about Jeffrey Martin's, uh, map of awakening. So if you're in a location, you're at some stage of awakening. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And when I talk about, uh, my practice with her, there does seem to be that commonality, but, uh, to her, it's a bit of an obstacle actually like and, and I, I see it the same way in a sense because um, So if you think about the stages of pity right uh, or particularly if you think about the, 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 the first four jhanas, the pleasure jhanas um, There's there are different stages of pity and each of those stages of pity has certain qualities. And uh, if you're if you're getting like a, a first pleasure jhana pity experience while you're playing music. You're going to have a train wreck you're not going to be able to actually play the music because it's just going to, you know, it's too much. Um, and so it's, for me, what I try to do rather than avoiding the pity, because I don't want to avoid that. To me, the, the joy of playing the music is part of the process and I don't want to not have that. So d- pulling back from the pity doesn't work. So what I've been trying to do is go forward to the fourth jhana experience. I mean I'm not saying I'm having Jhanas while well I'm playing piano, but but that that experience of the, the experience of, of tranquility where there's still that that deep peaceful beauty, but not the um, not the you know high energy because it's it's impossible to play the music. But if you can play from that place of tranquility, then I imagine it would actually be pretty nice to listen to also. So, Rodrigo, you've had your hand up for a while.
9: Yeah, I actually have a question that is, I don't know, but it's related to, to music in a sense, that uh, I, have, I have been working still on, on stage four and five, um, mainly five, but sometimes uh, it's going back to, to stage four, especially in the beginning of the session. And I have the regular distractions with work and worries and something like that. But sometimes and it has become more frequent. Lately, I have a song playing during my session in my mind. And it's not like any distraction because it doesn't matter how focused I am on the breath. the song doesn't go away. And it's usually the same song. And it's similar to when you get the song stuck in your in your head, but it's not exactly the same. It feels like it's playing in the background. And I I just grow accustomed to, to letting it play, but I don't know if, if there's something I can do because sometimes it's annoying. It's the same song over and over and over. It's not the same song every session. It's like there is a song for a session. So yeah. that session is that song and it's playing. And I have other other distractions at the same time. So sometimes the song is playing and I have a distraction about work and I go back to the breath and I come back to the breath and but the song doesn't go away. It's right. And I started thinking if it, it could have something to do with what you were saying about, sometimes your mind doesn't want to go in a certain direction and it throws things at you that should avoid going that way. So I, I started thinking, Maybe that song, is, it's keeping me from going somewhere, but I haven't been, been able to, to deal with it. Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, this is actually a very familiar experience to me because since, I, since I'm a musician, I, I don't claim I'm a great musician, but since I'm a musician, and I notice you have a keyboard in the background, so maybe you have this experience yeah. too, um, that uh, when I'm working on a piece, it's very common. Like right now, I a little bit have this, this major fugue that I was talking about going through my head. And, um, you know, it's unavoidable, right? Like, it's it's like your mind is working on it. So this is a submind that's working on the music problem. And uh, I think this is a very common experience. Chula Dasa has talked about this. What Chula Dasa advises for this, which I, I, I find this advice very fruitful, is, um, yeah, uh, what I find works is to just treat it as another thing in the background. Um, like see if it's actually a distraction or whether it's just a thing in the background. You may find, based based on the description that you just gave, I would say quite
9: likely it's it's actually not a distraction. It's just- Yeah, it, it isn't. It, it, yeah. It's a distraction in a sense because sometimes I realize the song is there repeating yeah. itself, but yeah. it's not like other distractions that I can just uh, refocus on my breath. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, it, there's a submind that's, that's, that really wants to have that going on. And so, so my experience has been that uh, when I'm in a pre-stage six place, uh, there's nothing I can do about that and it doesn't really matter. It's not actually affecting my practice. So so uh, the thing you have to be careful about, especially if you're a musician, and I definitely have this happen too, is having it turn into a gross distraction because like, it's such a beautiful piece of music that you actually want to put your mind on it. So don't do that. <laughs> but, um, but as long as it's in the background, um, and it's not producing gross distraction. It's not producing, it won't produce dullness. But it's, as long as it's not producing gross distraction, don't worry about it until you get to stage six. Because in stage six, when you're working on subtle distractions, now you're going to actually get to the point where um, when you do the stage six practice, it'll stop happening. Like you'll notice, you'll notice that the, 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 the intention for the music to be heard is still there. This is how it goes for me and it'll come up a little bit and then it'll stop. And then, so it'll be like little bits of it will come up. And then uh, the more into stage six you get, the more into the practice you get of, 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 of you know, breathing with the body, um, or you can even do this in stage six with just following the breath once you get there. Um, you'll notice that it just stops happening. And at some point when the practice is really smooth, it will not even feel like it wants to happen anymore. And it's actually exactly what Chula Dasa describes when he describes how stage six goes, where basically you're using so much bandwidth in your, in your attention that the sublines that are trying to get a piece of attention just stop trying. So, so that's, 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 when it, that's when it will stop, and there's no need to worry about it until then. Okay, thanks. Sure. So, we're getting to the hour and a half mark, and people have been dropping off. Uh, Are there any um, unanswered questions that people want to bring up before we say
3: goodbye? Hey, Ted, real real quick, I might email you separately about the finder's course afterwards. I don't want to take up time here, but uh, it'd be great to chat or exchange.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and, and if anybody's interested in that, now's the
3: time because I need to get you on the list sooner rather than later.